0: Welcome to CanQueer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, later this week, we have, one uh, well, later this week, later the show, later this we show, have yeah. a uh, an interview with the executive director of the LGBTQ Purge Fund. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that's uh, that's the full title, uh, we'll, we'll get to it though. Um, very exciting conversation, because we talk about the, the, what's, what, what's the word for it? The monument that is coming. Yes. Michelle Douglas is the executive director, just remembered her name now. Um, great conversation, very much looking forward to it.
1: Um, In the meantime, I'm distracted by the fact, we're, we're on webcam right now, and I could see right now that Luke is wearing three things. His glasses, a t-shirt, and a blanket
0: now it's a snuggie it is as far
1: as i know you're pork
0: and pig in it otherwise no 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 i have clothes on underneath this i'm wearing uh, i'm wearing sweatpants but still i'm wearing clothes i mean why was i going with this yeah no my front office is colder than the rest of the house oh yeah no that that computes that makes sense all right well um last week we A big news story that came and went that we didn't get round to, which is unfortunate, which caused a lot of stir Mm. in the dictionary world. Oh, yes. Do you want to expand on that, Sebastian? Well, this is
1: a French story. So uh, the Petit Robert, so the the most common popular pocket dictionary in the French-speaking world. Uh, world has recently introduced a gender-neutral pronoun into it. So, you've got the uh, the male pronoun il, you've got the female pronoun elle, and now they're introducing the gender-neutral pronoun yel spelled i e l. And a lot of people, it, the, the the French-speaking world is very sep- uh, divided on this, especially the linguists and grammarians, because on the one hand, you know, they they love the spirit of it. They, uh, I did a lot of reading, and a lot of people they like the broad concept of a gender neutral. The problem is that French also has agreement. So, if you say, um, if if you want to say someone is attractive, uh, belle, if they're feminine, beau, if they're masculine, or if you want to say that they are fat, gros, if they're a man, grosse, if they're a woman um so you have these variants you also have like roux and roux for hair color if you're a redhead so because french has agreement if you say yell so you know they the the general neutral they uh, are fat the moment you say gros or gross, you have to sort of choose a masculine or feminine agreement at which point uh why did you use the gender neutral pronoun if you're going to just end up gendering them anyway? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
0: So they may identify as them, but you've identified their hair as female. Yes. yes. You know, they may identify as they, but you've identified their fat body as male.
1: Yes. Well, their, their, their fat body is agreeing with whatever underlying thing you want to call masculine or feminine. Now, gender in French, a lot of people get taught the wrong thing that um, that it's somehow semantic. It absolutely is not. So I was actually thinking about examples the other day. Plombier is the word for plumber. All plombiers are masculine, even if they're women. And infirmière is nurse. And all infirmières are uh, feminine, even if they are men. And it, it's not because of the meaning of the word. It's because of the sound pattern. So all the masculine words in French rhyme with all the other masculine words and all the feminine words rhyme with all the other feminine words. And really, it's not really about a masculine or feminine. It's just like sound class that they're they're divided in that way. So sometimes there are masculine and feminine counterparts to each other for various roles. But broadly speaking, it has to do with the sound pattern. Now, part of the politics here has to do with... um, Well, okay, so dictionaries have always been political. And my favorite example actually comes from English. So a lot of people, they quote the Oxford English Dictionary. You know, they they just default to uh, the Oxford when they wanna find a definition of something. Now, interesting thing about the Oxford is it just happens to be that the pronunciation guide next to the word in the Oxford English Dictionary happens to be pronounced like how middle-class university professors in Oxford speak. And the definitions provided just happen to be the use that middle-class university professors in Oxford use. So there is this issue and they've gotten much better. Now they're starting to have like multiple pronunciations and they rarely actually list who is pronouncing what where. But number one is still the Oxford local. And there is this huge issue uh, with dictionary writing. And again, like as I've said, they've gotten much better about it since it was first pointed out in the 70s that dictionaries are weirdly inherently political. French is slightly worse because they have not necessarily gotten slightly better at they. They do make it very clear that some words are, or some uses of words are less preferred. And usually those alternative words are just, uh, it's just how the people in the countryside say it or people who are not in France say it. So there's a lot of that going on, but, um, with regards to a, a gender neutral expression in French, uh, I, I have no doubt that it could happen eventually because, like, the kind of English that Chaucer spoke, so Middle English, where they still had like, so, Knicht uh, would be how you pronounced a knight, like on, on horseback, and an Ulan would be an island. So, like, that turned into modern English in two generations. So, there, there actually is historical documentation of people saying, my grandchild speaks a different language than I do. Like it's completely mutually unintelligible, well not completely mutually unintelligible, but the languages can change very, very quickly. Now that's in terms of removing features, but in terms of adding features, it usually takes about three or four generations. Doesn't mean it's not worth doing if you wanted to introduce a third gender into French, um, but it, it would take a while. So the it's considered to be sort of a project and whether or not it's it's worth doing is another conversation altogether.
0: You know, what jumps out at me is new words that have come in and caused a bit of a stir. Like the one that always stuck with me was omnishambles. Did you ever hear about omnishambles? Oh man, I, I remember this, but I don't remember the details. Remind so, uh, everyone. So in Britain and in Canada to a degree, uh, the government was keen on making these omnibus bills, which means it was an mm. act of parliament that has, like, everything in the kitchen sink smushed yeah. into one act of parliament. Yeah, you have um, to vote for everything or it all or fails. Or nothing.
1: Or yeah, nothing. I think,
0: uh, it was, yeah. wasn't it the Stephen Harper Conservatives that had a few omni, uh, omnibus Oh, they bills? were
1: famous for it. Uh, did a couple, but
0: no, Harper was sort of more well-known for it by far. So in Britain... They also passed a whole bunch of these omnibus bills. But it there was U-turns. There was political infighting. Everything just fell apart. And uh, it was a shambles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, somebody called it an omni-shambles because uh, it was just everything about it mm-hmm. was just wrapped up in one great big mess. Yes. So that was the word of the year in 2012. And then 2013 was selfie. 2014 was vape um what would you i know what the 2021 word is but <laughs> what word would you say encapsulates the year 2021 i don't know like a lot of this uh, so when i when
1: i told the the story about yell yeah, to my friend in montreal he pointed out to me that uh 2010 they added the word bootylicious to the dictionary And he said, just because they add it to the dictionary doesn't mean people are going to use it. And just because it's a common word doesn't mean it's going to last. So he was like, you know, the yellow thing, it might blow over. It might become a thing. Who knows? Who knows? Because you just got to take bootylicious as an example, but also taking Mm -hmm. bootylicious as an example. Whatever it is that made it into the dictionary this year, that's considered like the word of the year. I guarantee it's on. It's coming out of some social media platform that I'm not on or came from the lyrics of a musician I don't listen to. Uh, I Sometimes I think I'm an old man who's lost touch, but then I remember that I learned who Nirvana was the day after uh, their lead singer committed suicide. Like, I've been out of touch my entire damn life. Like, I found out that the Jonas Brothers existed when a friend
0: told me they broke up. <laughs> <laughs> well, the word of the year is actually vax. Vax, okay. uh, vax as a word has existed, although it was uh, per million times mentioned online, it was like zero 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 point zero, yeah. Um, and now it is, um, you know, three and a half to four times per million word is the word vax. There's anti-vax, pro-vax, mm. vax card, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, every fully vaxed, half vaxed, you know vax is now everybody's aware of it and it's exploded in in usage over over the year. so i don't i mean for me that one makes sense but Mm -hmm. there's been other ones like bovard and chav and so on and they're a bit more hit and miss they haven't survived quite as much all right let us jump to our first track this is health class field trip by fjord mustang um out of (laughs) toronto and we'll be back just after this
2: I've got a lot on my plate It won't seem to end I haven't seen the sunshine
0: to for your home of Canada's Korean media. My name is still Luke Smith.
1: And I am Sebastian.
0: And we are very excited for our interview today. When I saw this last week, I was disappointed that we had ran out of room with the interviews we had last week, that we couldn't dive into this um, because we've been following it like a hawk. And that is the LGBT Purge Fund's national memorial to commemorate um in, you know the, the the trauma that happened with the purge but also the apology and and so on and so forth now we are very excited to have the executive director of the lgbtq2 plus national uh purge fund it's a bit of a bit of a tongue twister to get it right michelle thank you so much for joining us
3: uh, it's my pleasure. Very get, glad to be here and that you're talking about this just lifts my heart like uh, it's- <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Excellent. Now we had the, the absolute pleasure of interviewing some of the Purge survivors when the documentary was released and it did uh, the rounds of the uh, Toronto Film Festival, uh, LGBT Film Festival, and then the, um, the Ottawa version as well. We went to the screening and interviewed folks there. Well,
1: also living in Ottawa, we've met purge survivors just, yes. <laughs> just casually so. at cocktail Absolutely. parties and whatnot. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's a small world in, uh, in Ottawa <laughs> for sure. Um, but for those who aren't necessarily familiar and think we're referring to a, you know, 2000s horror film set in the States, what is The Purge and, and why is it worth monumental building over?
3: Yeah, you're, you're right. It is a bit of a horror show to reflect on a period in Canadian history, roughly between the 1950s and the mid 1990s, when it was government policy in the federal workplace. So here we're talking about, you know, the public service in the federal uh, context the RCMP and the Canadian Armed Forces. They had policies on the books that were overtly discriminatory against LGBT folks. Um, I happened to be an officer serving in the, in the Canadian Armed Forces uh, back in the late 1980s and was ultimately fired uh, in 1989 as being not advantageously employable due to homosexuality. I was just one of literally thousands of people who experienced what we now call the LGBT purge, the pretty horrible period of time that not a lot of people know about, to be honest.
0: Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, I mean, I'm sure there was a degree of some polite reassignment, some polite letting go, but the purge was not all, you know... That polite. There was some horrific elements and it was a very traumatic experience for many, many people. And I think what really stood out to me in speaking with survivors and, and the work we've done looking at the purge is the fact that these are Canadians who are dedicating their lives and their time to serving the country, often at the front lines, you know, working with the Department of Defense and the armed forces, but even the RCMP and the civic service at large, You know, and that dedication and that 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 amount of effort and and heart um, was rewarded by being booted out the door, you know, and and dismissed. It is worth
1: pointing out as well that, I mean, if you're not familiar with the details of the 2030 year history of the purge, that superficially it seems like a bunch of people got fired. But the way that it happened sent ripples through their lives and through the community as well. Because in some cases, it was very difficult for them to get reassigned or rehired because it was on their their discharge or what have you that they were fired for being a homosexual. And some people didn't care, and some people did, and it it, it did have massive impact. And we've we've seen documentaries and interviewed people who were. Um, survivors of just their lives falling to pieces around them like they they lost their house or they had to move uh, out of the city because they couldn't afford things anymore like it it was more than just losing a job it was it it had massive impacts and on the community and in general as well I mean the Mm. just living in fear is it's not it's not great man yeah feels bad
3: Uh, it's not great man and I lived (laughs) Um, um, so, you know, let me tell you when you talk about, yes, some people were politely asked to leave, Mm. um, by noon, um, you know, on a given day. Um, some people were just shamed, uh, so much, um, that they, that they left. Um, but someone like myself, I, I fought hard to stay in the Canadian armed forces because I wanted to make it my career. But when we're talking about, a tough time, um, you know, police cars, interrogations, interrogation rooms, multiple days for myself anyway, being locked in a hotel room with military police interrogating me about my sex life and who else I thought might be gay, uh, polygraphed, uh, people were assaulted, institutionalized, like it, it is hard to to kind of characterize, you know, the, the devastation. I mean, you, you did kind of highlight it, but, of course, people are traumatized from this time. They were scarring. And, it, and it's um, finally uh, through you know, various actions, I, I think even my own back in 1992 by suing the military and formally ending that damn policy hmm. was an important step. Reading uh, the books of these you know, laws and policies is critical. But now we're into class action settlements and finally starting the reconciliation journey, which is which is pretty vital. Uh, And a big part of that, of course, was Prime Minister Trudeau's um, apology in the House of Commons in 2017.
0: I think we might uh, we might be able to play a short clip from that apology. The other thing that that jumped out of me quite powerfully from what happened with this initiative is I distinctly remember, and I can't remember which pride it was, but I know it was in Ottawa, presumably before the the pandemic, when the the victims of the purge marched at the front of the armed forces contingent in Ottawa Pride. That was two thousand seven. You you organized that? Yeah, <laughs> I did that. <laughs> Do you mean 2017? Oh yeah, sorry, (laughs) only a decade later there, uh, Sebastian. But for me, that was incredibly powerful, and that 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 felt, you know, I felt that to the core. And I think it also helped to highlight, you know, the fact that so many folks still live in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, despite the government's best efforts to you know to spread itself across the country, a lot of the government is in Ottawa. And, um, you know, that's where a lot of folks remain. And so it makes sense to me that the monument that is designed to give us a moment to pause, a moment to reflect. But what, you know, the fact that that takes place in Ottawa is fantastic. But what jumped out at me was the considerations in this monument that made me think, huh, That's really interesting. And that's a really great use of the space. And the two bits that jump out is the fact that it's a space for celebration. You know, the gay community in Ottawa has, you know, the village space and Bank Street, but there's never really been a place where when we can gather in in a way that makes sense. And the other place uh, piece of it was celebrating the indigeneity of the space that the monument is actually going to, to reside. For those not familiar with Ottawa, um, the area where it's going to be residing sort of at the end of the road where uh, past the Library and Archives Canada holds a lot of significant spiritual meaning for the Indigenous folks and the the Algonquins of the area. So I was really relieved to see that piece reflected as well as the celebration piece. So my question to you, Michelle, is what was what? Because there was a lot of rambling with no question. What was the the brief that was given? Am I just reading into it, or were these things that they were actually asked to to design for?
3: Well, uh, you're right. The space that has been selected um, in Ottawa is a beautiful space, um, and that the fact that we were um, given access to that. Uh, unseated Algonquin land, I I certainly want to stress that point, um, is as a result of the settlement of a class action lawsuit. So that's what determined it would be in Ottawa. Um, We have as an organization, the LGBT Purge Fund, undertaken efforts to establish a collective for the purpose of creating a vision for this thing in the first place. It's really important to know this is not a monument, it's certainly not a memorial. It's not a monument to only the LGBT purge period. That is sure, it, it is included in this, but it's really to the larger experience of discrimination by experienced by the LGBTQ2 community across Canada. So those who were denied housing, those who were denied healthcare access, couldn't see a partner during the HIV AIDS, uh, crisis, um, and, and just the everyday indignities experienced by members of our community, it will touch on those things. And so what we did was we brought together many, many, many different voices and developed a vision. You can read about it online. We post what the vision is. And of course, we, we wanted to make sure it was inclusive. We, we talked about indigeneity. If we don't think and represent and engage with the two spirit people of this country um, and and of this land. We continue to perpetuate the absolute horrors of colonialism. We are trying to do better with this. We wanna make it visible, right? We've been a community so invisible for a long time. We wanna make it timeless um, so that it stands for all time. But then we'll have it, you know, be a place where you can reflect contemplate, you know, be contemplative, um, celebrate, have a great time, but also remember the acts of resistance and resilience and fighting um, because this was not handed to us on, you know, oh, hey, do you want a monument for your community? No, we fought for this. And the last thing I think that's really important to know is the money for this monument comes from the settlement of the LGBT purge class action. And the funds that we've dedicated to this monument, about $8 million, are funds that would have been payable to people who lived through the purge had they survived long enough to make a class action claim. So this is like the money of people who never saw justice. And this is one of the things that we're doing with it. I think it's pretty profound. And uh, the designs have really captured um, the brief that they were then given because we put it out through an open procurement process. And that's how this has led us to today, where we want everyone across Canada to have a say in the design.
0: Yeah, you can... uh you can i mean you can find it I'm, I'm certain through the government of canada's uh website i'll give you um, an easier
3: one <laughs> yeah, please give
0: us an easier link because the
3: yeah, heritage
0: canada is a bit of a maze to follow it's
3: easy and this will help you lgbt purge fund f u n dot com. and then there's you just click on the, the 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 bar that says have your say about the monument um, and so it's really simple. It'll take you to the, the overall survey, but we need to hear from thousands and thousands and thousands of folks from across this country. If you're queer and are in Jaw, we would love to hear from you. I just heard from a, a group up in uh, Whitehorse where we love that they are like weighing in. A classroom in Oromocto, New Brunswick, they're weighing in. This, these are the kinds of voices we need to hear like, let's make this, let's engage and have a say what what you think about the design.
1: Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I've briefly point. looked at the website and right away I had a favorite. Now I'm not <laughs> going to bias anyone by telling anyone what it is, but I I instantly had a favorite and for a list of reasons. Some of these are, are beautiful designs. Some of them are very conceptual. Um, not really again not going to get into which ones are which but i really do think that there was a lot of effort to make sure that they were very like diverse in like like the architecture and the design and the artistry and the landscaping like they're they're very diverse in that sense as well and i think that there's something like there's some really good design that went into this and i'm i'm i would be happy with any of them i have a favorite but i mean mm. they're they're quite lovely
0: you know ottawa is bespeckled by Monuments and plinths and so on, so memorials forth. Memorials and memorials and so on, so forth. Um, I just not wanna... many squares or plazas though. Yeah, lack of plazas. We will yeah. have a word. Um, yeah. But <laughs> what jumps out at me is before I, before I touch on the point I was making, I did want to thank you for mentioning those who didn't survive the purge. You right. know, we when we've interviewed folks in the past, um, for some the trauma was too much and the capacity to manage it was was not there. Um, So the fact that it's being funded through those who couldn't be here is absolutely beautiful. And I think we should bear that in mind as we think about which design to move forward with. But what I wanted to say about, you know, there's so many prints and monuments in Ottawa is that so few of them you know reflect spaces where you can do a thing (laughs) you know what I mean Mm. and nearly every single one of these has it's really quite apparent like wow I can see a pride event there I can see you know a gathering event there I can see you know something happening in that incredible space um and that's exciting obviously I also have a favorite but I think (laughs) what's uh And maybe me and Seb, we'll we'll get into that a little later, not to put you on the spot. You are on the jury, so we don't want to influence you. But what I want to say to everyone listening who maybe wants to have their voice heard, maybe they'll have a chance to come visit Ottawa at some point, is they are all incredible designs for that space and I think will serve the community very well uh, moving forward. So was it just the five teams or was it whittled down from a larger volume?
3: It was whittled down from a larger group. There were 32 uh, teams that applied as a part of a large procurement um, process. So it was open and because of procurement laws on a larger contract, um, international teams are permitted to be part of it. But the principal elements must be Canadian mm-hmm. um, so there's a combination there's uh, you know uh, and in terms of how teams construct themselves um, but ultimately the jury uh, determined these five finalists they went away and then uh, based on concepts and then they went away and kind of created their proposed designs which are now open to the public to to weigh in on um, I you know, first of all, listen, as a proud lesbian, I, I just think if the queers can't bring great design, really, come on, what what is up with that? So, like you, I think they're powerful, I think they're beautiful, um, and they say something, they've all addressed the vision in some way, so, um, you know, I... I'm just so excited to see how this ultimately um, shakes out. I think um, early in 2022, we probably will have determined the winner, the the design, and then you know we start other processes, right? Like think about the opportunities. What story do we tell as part of a companion, say, website? Like where are we going to put all the content that that enhances it for for school kids who who go or for for someone who says, I want to be part of this, how, how can I do it? So we're coming up with great ideas, everything from walking tours to you know websites and so on. Um, but the design is the first major thing. So it's quite exciting.
0: It's interesting you brought up the timeline, because a part of me is thinking, you know, we are, maybe I'm a little jaded, this me being jaded came up last week with the blood <laughs> bang. But the, uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a bit uh, of a pessimist here with the city and, and monuments. Um, And and the timeline, I think the LGBT purge fund monument has the distinct advantage of being funded through, you know, it has the advantage of being funded through this this settlement, although how and why is incredibly, uh, you know, green as it is. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And I think that that, that gives this the monument an edge that it could potentially be completed on time, unlike the monuments in this city, which have not necessarily had that same advantage. I bring this up to say, should we be holding our breath? Are, we, are you expecting the timeline to roll out nice and smooth?
3: You know, I am pretty optimistic. Uh, listen, I've been an activist for for more than thirty years. This has been what I've dedicated my life to: equal treatment for the LGBTQ two plus community. Uh, equal. Uh, I focus my areas often in the, creating legal equality, while others are doing, you know, all of the other important work. So I'm an optimist. Um, I think 2025, we're going to have a monument. Um, but, you know, COVID, we didn't anticipate it. It has slowed us down a bit, and the cost of materials, things are getting more expensive, right? So there's all of these factors, but the goodwill is there. We're working closely with the government to help make this happen. Um, we have formed an advisory committee, an Indigenous circle, um, and of course, we're actively engaged and sending communications a lot to um, the two implicated um, Algonquin communities, uh, First Nations, uh, Pikwakanagan and uh, Kiganzibi um, to to offer respect and to to talk to them. And we're always open to um, even more dialogue. Um, and what an honor it is to to have this on unceded Algonquin land. Um, it's it's quite humbling actually um, to have this human rights monument um, on that space. We we just aim to to do to do justice to it in all ways.
0: Having having lived downtown in Ottawa, I've I've cycled through that area, yeah. and and it's it's a really powerful area now, and it's always historically been such an incredible key meeting place for for Indigenous folks. Um, I want to I want to thank you for for joining us and sincerely encourage everybody who who wants to express their opinion to go to the website that's lgbtpurgefund.com lgbtpurgefund.com and it's the black bar at the top with the white text. That's
3: exactly um, I I didn't notice English. it the first time. It's English, right? Yeah, so it's nice
0: and easy to to find. It's a lot easier to go that way than through heritage website, Um, but uh, go in, have a look at the five designs, um, and if you stick around after the song, me and Seb will spill the beans on which one is our <laughs> favorites. Um, but uh, you know, we want to have
3: favorites. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, well, the
1: truth is, like, so long as they use indigenous plants, that's the thing that I care about the most. It's really weird going to Canadian monuments and all the plants in the gardens are invasive species. It's just, it, it's, it's bizarre to me. But yeah, a lot
3: of we have things that we obviously like standards that we'll want to reflect. We are fundamentally oh, sure, yeah. a human rights organization. So, you know, with design also is accessibility and mm-hmm. all of that. And um, so we're aiming to, have a very hard, high bar here in the standards. Two of
1: the monuments specifically list Indigenous species on their descriptions, so that made, that that made me cool. happy, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Well, there is something there for everybody. Thank you so much again for joining us and we will be back just after this. There's a place where
4: no one knows, deep in
0: Welcome back to Cancrea home of Canada's Queer Media. That was Canola featuring Igor Aka by uh, Sec Lopez and uh, a great 23-year-old vocalist uh, out of Winnipeg. I think we've uh, featured them before. After that, we had Tisa Rahim's with Won't Come Through, uh, the incredible um, artist, I think, based out of Montreal or Vancouver. I forget which one, but we'll get to it. Now, before we go any further i want I want you to spill the tea, Sebastian, Which of these designs is your favorite?
1: Oh, uh, I liked the lens. Uh, you had a very good point about uh, oh, I can't remember what it was called. I don't have them in front of me anymore. I just remember I remembered the name of the ones that I like the best. It's like
0: team derling, the team mass M A W S, team on common ground' then there's Som and Team Refford.
1: There's the one that's basically like an outdoor. Uh, what is it called when it's an outdoor auditorium, like the clamshell things? Oh, the amphitheater. The amphitheater, that's it. So you had you had a lot of really good points to make about the amphitheater, but I just thought that architecturally, the the lens one, the tilted circle thing, was just enough of sort of a, a fascinating architectural piece because I really like the idea of having tourists or even just like local people in Ottawa walking down the street, seeing it and going, what the hell is that? <laughs> Why there? is there
0: a giant circle... Yeah, LinkedIn and then in the
1: middle of a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going up to it, reading the plaque, and then learning something. Uh, mm-hmm. Not all of them are like that. A couple of them, like one of them, is designed to look hostile from the outside, but welcoming from the inside. But then my concern is that if it looks hostile from the outside, symbolically, like it looks like that on purpose by design, uh, that may not bring in the, the curious quite as, as much. Also, uh, and I, I remember mentioning this to my roommate, and she was laughing, well, that seems historically consistent when you have a walled garden you're either gonna have to lock it at night or put guards or something otherwise it's just going to be like drugs and sex work in there but that's also pretty consistent with
0: like it's pretty on brand yeah gay (laughs) gay history
1: for good or for bad yeah uh yeah no i like the lens one It, it looks really interesting i like the sort of scattered uh stone path things and the the concentric look of it it just looks It looks really interesting, but not like those terrible
0: avant-garde
1: glass buildings that are plaguing historical monuments downtown.
0: I prefer the uncommon ground one. That was the one with the big wall you mentioned, because it is sort of walled in on two sides and with trees up along the top, it Mm -hmm. creates this sort of cozy, intimate space. and the walls are powerful and the they have the we apologize speech on there and it's for me it's it's a powerful space to be in i i would feel mm-hmm. and um it also creates a, a sort of hidden gem feel about it i think if ottawa had that space it would be a really cool place to go to Mm-hmm. um you know that you may not stumble upon by accident but once you go through the doors and it's like wow it's like a secret garden I think that would be really cool there's a couple I really did not like but uh we'll only talk <laughs> about the ones that we did like yeah yeah, and, yeah. Uh, invite everyone to go check it out as I mentioned lgbtpurgefund.com uh, right at the top national monument have your say and
1: actually hats off to our guest even after the interview and we stopped recording she still refused to tell us
0: her favorite <laughs> <laughs> yeah well done michelle we couldn't uh, get that out of you <laughs> all right now we're going to do a bit of a quick roundup of uh gay news from across the world because um there was a a, a lot of ground to cover Uh, There's been some interesting news out of Qatar in the Middle East. Um, So there's a lot of questions about the FIFA World Cup. That is uh, soccer or football, which should be taking place, uh, I think, the November 21st to December 18th. Is, FIFA, uh,
1: I would put in the same box as Eurovision and the Moomins in the sense that the whole world loves it, but North America barely knows it exists. It's yes, so weird.
0: Yes, that it's is so weird. I never thought I'd have FIFA, Eurovision and the Moomins in a, in a category. Yeah. Like if, if the question <laughs> was what connects FIFA, Eurovision and the Moomins, um, <laughs> I would never have got to that, that question. Although if anyone listening, that will be a question that comes in the great big gay quiz <laughs> um, later uh, at uh, around New Year's. Um, anyway, the Qatari um, Foreign Office has been informing people that homosexuality is illegal in Qatar um, with uh, prison terms up for up to three years for committing sodomy or dissipation, I think, is uh, one of the words they're called. And um, they...
1: They will even yeah. apply this to foreigners. Like the skip the consulate, off you go.
0: Yeah. So they uh, there will be no shorts and skirts for women. Heterosexual people can hold hands, and that is it. Never a moment more of affection. Um, the fact that Qatar got op- that, you know, got offered the chance to, you know, re- host this, mm-hmm. uh, is a black spot on uh, FIFA, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, I also have a Kevin Spacey uh, update. What? I know. I this know. is
1: new to me. I, I've not heard anything about You have
0: about not this. heard about the uh, the Kevin Spacey update? So but he, as you know,
1: I barely care about celebrity culture. So This is true. So yeah.
0: just to <laughs> recap way back, actor Anthony Rapp, um, who is currently one of the co-stars in the Discovery series. I think folks in Canada can see that on Crave. Um, so Anthony Rapp accused uh Kevin Spacey of sexual assault when he was a I believe a, a minor or a young teen at the very least is that the blonde um, guy he was in rent yeah that's the okay. blonde guy that was in rent yeah and um a few other men also accused uh um Kevin Spacey of assaults of various degrees unfortunately not all of them were comfortable coming forward mm. um And none of the cases have made their way through courts, which is uh, unfortunate. But Kevin Spacey has been ordered to pay $31 million to MRC, the studio that created House of Cards. Um, Okay. Now, they are to cut the last series short by about four or five episodes, and wrote him out of the show where he was the star of the show. I do
1: remember hearing about this that apparently this is based on a series of books and in the books he dies in the books as well, but because he was popular they left him in the show for longer. So when they wrote him out they're like, well, we can now focus on his wife who is the the star of the the books at the end anyway. And a lot of people thought that like that they, they didn't know about that so they thought it was all just like you know, political hand-waving, you know, look at mm-hmm. us, we're fine. But it was it was more like, well, technically we were overdue for this anyway. So yeah. I do remember hearing about that.
0: So in a settlement that was uh, published uh, earlier in the week, Kevin Spacey has been ordered to pay uh, M-Profit Productions or oh, his production companies and profit productions and Trigger Street Productions have to pay twenty nine point five million in damages, one point two million in attorney fees, and two hundred thirty thousand for um, the and you know for breach of contract. Huh. So uh, the company that made House of Cards had a policy against sexual harassment,
1: oh, and
0: uh, okay. when uh, they cut ties with him because of sexual harassment. Um, He breached his contract by by doing sexual harassment. But that would have to be
1: while he was on set, though, because anything that you do before the contract, that wouldn't necessarily apply. And I'm assuming that they wrote this into the contract as a fallout from the Cosby case.
0: Yeah, so had uh, the um, arbitrator said that they found witnesses to Spacey's behavior to be credible, The arbiter found that Spacey's conduct constituted a material breach of his acting and executive producing agreements, and that his breaches excused the obligations for for them to pay him any further compensation. Um, Yeah, so Hmm. at the end of the day, he broke the rules and now he has to pay 30 million. So he's been struggling to recover from this, rightly so, if the allegations Uh are correct. and, uh, yeah, this is a very deep hole that he's now going to have to try and dig himself out of.
1: He's kind of I I, I have noticed he's going down the uh, the Nick Cage route of accepting every single thing that crosses his table. And the the few things that Kevin Spacey has done over the past year, the uh, past couple of years, are incredibly weird, like incredibly weird. And uh, the the comparison to Nick Cage is just Nick Cage was deeply in debt through a series of bad decisions. So he accepts every single contract. And a lot of people forget his first few movies were Oscar winners. So he is a competent actor. He just keeps making weird decisions. And I think Kevin Spacey is now in the same boat of like, in order to keep afloat, he needs to accept weird roles. And I think we're going to continue seeing him in bizarre things from now on, if anything at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would choose to watch a movie with Kevin Spacey in it at this point. Well, um, John Waters cast a couple serial killers
1: in his movies. Not serial killers. What am I talking about? No. Uh, what's her name? Who was kidnapped by the Simeon army? Patty Hearst. He, he cast Patty Hearst in his movies and
0: she killed a few people. You don't know who Patty Hearst is? I, well, I'm going to just move right <laughs> on. I'm going to just move on from this. Um, let's end on some nice good news. I think that would be uh, quite welcome. So Chile in South America has been trying for years to introduce same-sex unions um, in, in Chile. And yeah. uh, the former president, Michelle Bachelet, uh, who was Chile's first female leader, uh, mm-hmm. first introduced the marriage equality bill in 2017 and it's been struggling to get anywhere the current president sebastian pinera um has announced that he will be working to expedite it it went to the lower house in chile uh, where mm-hmm. it has passed it'll be going to the senate they tweaked it so there's uh it's likely to go to the the upper house and it is believed that it will pass there as well. So Chile may be looking at uh, you know, same-sex marriage or union um, mm-hmm. within the next couple of months. So that's fantastic news to see uh, the rights progress in Chile and then in, in South America.
1: It's so peculiar because South America was on the cutting edge. Like Bolivia was one of the first countries to have legal same-sex marriage. And a lot of that is just driven by the fact that they are a small country. And basically all they had to do was that the president leaned out the window and said, hey, everybody, same sex marriage. And then like somebody in the courtyard said, OK, and he was like, that's two thirds majority. Uh, obviously a bit of a an exaggeration, but like, you know, a lot of interesting things happen in places like Iceland and Bolivia, and New Zealand, because when the population is low, you can be really dynamic. And then it sort of spread from there, like Argentina wasn't far behind. Brazil wasn't far behind. Canada was like the fourth country or something. Um, and a lot of it is because of South America. So Chile being a holdout has always been sort of a, an interesting question mark about how this came to be for a while
0: now. Mm-hmm. And the last story that I forgot to mention, but something for us to think on, Stephen Sondheim. Are you familiar with Stephen Sondheim? Oh, yes. yes. The incredible creator behind West Side Story, Gypsy, Sweeney Todd. Uh, A Little Night of Music and Sondheim on Sondheim um, Mm -hmm. has passed away at the age of 91. That's a good long life. That is a very long life and highly established. um, He is considered to be the American Shakespeare of um, uh, Broadway. Not Andrew Lloyd Webber? Well, no, Andrew Lloyd Webber is British. So (laughs) uh, Sondheim is American and he wrote American classics like West Side Story. So um, it is uh, certainly sad to see his passing. We know that a lot of actors and Broadway in particular has been uh, grieving for his recent passing mm-hmm. now we will be playing out with our last track which is rhythm of love by aiden shamray i've been luke smith and i've been sebastian and thank you for listening
1: it's like seven in the morning you keep me
2: up with your calling and